Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal, boys and girls. My name is Ty Hildenbrandt. Joining me over there at Chicagoland, Dan Rubenstein, sir. How you doing? I'm pretty good. The studio's coming together nicely because um, we'll we'll pull back the, the curtain a little bit. We're setting up both audio and video stuff. You're pretty much set up for audio, but you're rejiggering some stuff to make it also work that for video. Correct. So I just got an alert that some little LED lights that I ordered that will go into the background of my quote unquote set have arrived. So I'm pumped about that. But Ty, I wanted to talk about something else in this sea of uncertainty and bummerness. I mean, we're really hoping for football, for some version of football. Do, but I, you know, need, do I need some like intro music for this? No, no, no. You're good. This is I'm spinning it positive. I just okay. want to tell you what I just saw mere moments ago. Oh, please. We this is not a live show. So we tried to load up, especially at the top of the show, with as much as many news stories as possible to touch on and figure out how we feel about that and discuss, you know, you know the SEC schedule just came out. I'm sure we're going to talk about that in a minute. And, you know, all these big name coaches are, are weighing in with their thoughts on how everything will or won't proceed, whatever. We're going to get in on all that. One of the places that I, I look for news stories and to, to stay current with everything every day, every hour, pretty much, is the the subreddit for college football, the college football subreddit, right? Yeah. Reddit.com's home for college football, whatever. Of course. And there was, and it's always just like, this player, this three-star committed to Texas Tech. This this player has decided not to play. This team has decided not to play. This conference, is, and it's just, there's a lot of bummers. Um, not that committing to Texas Tech is a bummer. But I did just see that Nike released their official 2020 college football coaches shoe. And it oddly made me feel very happy. <laughs> it oddly made me feel that like, yeah, Nike's moving forward. Like the, you know, Big Ten and Pac-12 or the Power Five conferences who aren't playing football. But that hasn't stopped them from releasing, it was called like the Pegasus, the, the 2020 Pegasus, Pegasus right. model, where it has a, a giant swoosh and the little school logo. And I just okay. got a little bit sad that like, oh, well, Ryan Day is never going to be able to show off his new sleds. Mario Cristobal, James Franklin, Clay Helton. We're not going to see them roaming the sidelines in their 2020 college football Pegasus shoes. But the fact that they exist and were still released, all things considered, made me kind of happy. But you will see Clay Helton in 2021, Dan, and that oh stands gosh, for something, my friend. This is true. That stands for something. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for downloading I am Ty. He is Dan. Don't forget, you can subscribe to our show anywhere you get a podcast going out to Spotify or Apple, Google, Stitcher, tune in anywhere you can find our show. And if you like it, if you are ever so inclined, please do leave us a five star review. Every little bit helps, especially in these uncertain times where here we are trying to figure out when are we going to do previews? Should we do previews? What's the deal? We plan to do a fantasy thing show. Do we want to do that? Like so much uncertainty. We're going to bring on a special guest this evening, Ross Dellinger, who's been doing fine work, work in this beat, trying to help us figure it out alongside you. He's going to stop by momentarily to talk through what the latest he's hearing is in and around the world again of college football, trying to suss out what's going down, when it's going down and what we should look for next. So Stick around. We're going to talk with Ross momentarily. He's so good. We're also going to talk through some of that news. Dan mentioned the SEC schedule. We got news around SEC land, around Big Ten land, around Pac-12 land, all around the world of college football. A lot of stuff going down. If you don't already, follow all of our social feeds, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and go on out. Subscribe to our newsletter at solidverbal.com for any and all impending announcements, Dan. Yeah. Can I tell you about, I mean, I know we're about to get into news. Can I tell you that I did something very specific that I never do uh, as it relates to the SEC schedule? Okay. You know how some people will buy that, a really expensive bottle of you know bourbon or wine or whatever, and they just, they, they want to save it for the perfect moment. Sure. They want to like all the perfect meal, the perfect celebration. Right, right. I intentionally, even though I posted it to our Instagram mere hours ago, I have held off 
on looking at the SEC schedule until this very moment. Really? I want to I react live with genuine emotion because the fact that they added two conference games, 10 total games, 10 conference games, and there are certain schools that are kind of cruising. There are certain schools that have just just killer after killer after killer. I know Arkansas has that. I saw, I've seen tweets about that, but I didn't see, I haven't seen specifics yet. I wanted to save myself because I want the SEC 10 game banger only schedule to happen so badly that I wanted to share it with you and the Verballers. Well, that's very kind of you, Dan. Why don't we jump into our news? We have breaking news! Daniel, the SEC has announced its football schedule. Ten game slate games are going to begin on September the 26th. They intend to move forward and play their college football season. They revealed it on Monday. It is completely retooled. Apparently, there was some animosity on the call. We talked about that on the last show. But this would normally be week four of the college football season. They're delaying. They're, I guess, going to take a wait-and-see approach, as Greg Sankey has said time and again. Do you have the schedule in front of you, Daniel? It's loaded, and I'm already forming opinions. Yes, I do. Loaded, already forming opinions. A home and road splits haven't really changed, right? No. There's just additional games, and they rejiggered the order of everything. There are additional games. They have changed up the order. Right. We've got Auburn, Georgia on week two. I did see that. Ugh. Love it. Which is a, uh, a fun in way Athens. to get to in Athens to get things started. I mean, LSU, Mississippi State week one. That game always has a very weird quality to it. I like that. Let's go through real quick week by week. Pick out our yeah. favorite game. I'm ready. So you got LSU, Mississippi State week one. That's a that's a fun one. I think without question, Auburn at Georgia. Week two is pretty badass. I'm I'm a fan of that game. Florida at AM is fun in week three. Florida, I mean Georgia, Tennessee. That game's in Athens, I believe. But Georgia, Tennessee, week three could be very, very interesting. We've got Lane Kiffin, Nick Saban, ooh, week three. Ooh, 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 ooh. Oh, yeah. There are storyline. Okay, I changed my mind. AM Florida. I I like and this is this goes back to Bill Connolly's pods. Bill Connolly of ESPN is is a big big proponent of the pod system where you have I think three or four annual matchups, then everything else rotates. So we do see Florida. Florida has Florida been at Texas A and M since the Johnny Manziel game? Maybe I don't remember, but there are certain like I know Georgia A and M went forever and ever without playing, which is insane. These are huge programs in the same conference. So the pod system is unintentionally getting closer with 10 conference games this year just because there's more variety. And I think that's, you know, that's a, a great example of having, what is it? What did I just say? Florida A&M in week three. Amazing. Great. Huge stories there. I love it. But what about week four when we've got Georgia at Bama, LSU at Florida, Texas A&M at Mississippi State. That's a pretty loaded week right there. That's amazing. Oh, man. That's... So that would be the 17th of October. Yep. Oh, man. So it's, I'm just trying to sort out some. We got Jimbo Fisher, Mike Leach <laughs> in week four. We have, okay, we've got Kentucky, Tennessee, always contentious. There's a ton there, Ty. I love, All oh right. my God. This week is five. This is truly a banger only situation. This is. They actually followed our lead here. Yes. Georgia Bama has to be the game of week four, but it's a pretty deep, pretty deep week. Oh, yeah. Especially LSU at Florida. Not to be outdone. Week five, we've got Bama at Tennessee, Auburn at Ole Miss, Mizzou at Florida, Georgia at Kentucky, South Carolina at LSU. Alabama-Tennessee is the rivalry. Uh, Auburn-Ole Miss could be the better game of the week. I've been to, I I think, yeah, it was. It was South Carolina-LSU in Baton Rouge. That was the game, the only time I've been to death valley it was 2007 it was raining pretty hard and that was the les miles fake field goal yeah holder yeah. just tosses, tosses it. it over his shoulder oh that was a great time that was an unbelievable time so yes that that game specifically south carolina at lsu special place in my heart and so then 
week that's week five is the first week with open dates with buys correct correct okay so you get four straight just murderers row i love it then we've got halloween okay. i saw the sec mandated that if fans are going to be in the stands they have to wear masks why not wear a fun mask on october 31st week six <laughs> the game good here, one Ty. thank you i've been working up to that <laughs> Oh, LSU continue. at Auburn on Amazing. Halloween. Amazing. Yeah. Kevin Steele did a all things considered pretty great job against the LSU offense last yeah. year. I think they held him to 23 points, something like that. You got Mike Leach and Mississippi State and KJ Costell, presumably. Yeah. Hosting Nick Saban. Air Raid original Mike Leach hosting Nick Saban in that defense on Halloween in Starkville. It, you know, we're, it's not going to be a clanging situation. It's not going to be a crowd of any consequence. But even still, it's one of those things that you you dream of getting the, the two sort of masterminds of very specific things against each other. I like that. Week seven, Florida Georgia. They're yeah, still a lot planning, of still planning on playing this one in Jacksonville. Okay, but I that's mean, the I, game. I mean, that's that's the game that week. Uh, week eight, I think it's pretty obvious that our biggest game is going to be Alabama at LSU. Yep, it's the they still have the bye weeks before that game, as as tradition dictates. Week nine, a demonstrably weaker slate. Okay, but I what think are you saying? Probably Tennessee Auburn. Tennessee, I mean Mississippi I, State Georgia. Tennessee at Auburn. Um, I would I would watch that. Georgia, Mississippi State, I would watch. Uh, I'm I'm okay with all of this. And look, we get, I think we even skipped over this. It's Florida Ole Miss, right? Florida on the road in Oxford for Lane Kiffin's first game coaching Ole Miss. Great. Final two weeks here. We've got the Alabama, Auburn. Yeah. November 28th. I think that takes precedent. And then finally, last week of the year, Florida at Tennessee. Notable rivalry. Got Ole Miss at LSU. Who knows what spot Ole Miss will be in by the end of the year, full season under Lane Kiffin. This is a bangers-only schedule, Dan. Yeah, the Egg Bowl is second to last week, the 28th, November 28th. Um, it's it's very strange to see certain games that we're used to seeing early on pushed late. I think South Carolina-Georgia is not that penultimate week, right? Yep. So we expect weirdness there i assume once again tennessee vandy is now second to last week there's it's gonna be you know i i am hopeful i don't know if i'm optimistic but i'm hopeful that we get to this point that we get to preview all of these games and react to all of these games and see what all this new sec weirdness between you know new coaches at what the mississippi schools and arkansas yeah yeah um oh yeah let's do it zoo yeah um I, I am hopeful that we are able to sidewind a path to getting to December. A December to remember, as some have said on this show. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Right. This this gets me excited for a hypothetical ability to get through this. I love it. So I won't go into too much detail. I mentioned that the SEC has announced the, the whole mask mandate. Um, they are leaving most of the decision-making regarding stadium attendance up to the member institutions. The only thing, well, not the only thing, but I guess the big thing, the key thing that they have said is that face coverings, quote, face coverings over the nose and mouth shall be required as a condition of all guest ingress, egress, and movement throughout the stadium. So a lot of words there, Dan. <laughs> the most important thing is they're telling you not only to wear a mask, but wear it correctly. Yep. And uh, so maybe they could do that on Halloween. It'd be fun. I don't know. Um, and maybe they can have fans in the stands, too. I saw there were a bunch of other uh, suggestions for how stadiums, how institutions should handle fans. It includes things such as grab and go food items to plexiglass in front of point of sale locations, a whole bunch of stuff. We'll see if it comes to that. But if in fact there are fans in the stadium, I'm actually genuinely curious to see how this would work. What would that look like on TV? What would that experience be like for people who are in the stadium? Um, I, I feel like there's a lot of unknown there because at least up to present, we're recording this on what, the 18th of August? 
Um, it seemed like to some extent having fans in a stadium is is somewhat of a wishful thinking kind of thing. Um, but now we're seeing some actual restrictions. We're actually seeing some guidelines for how to pull it off. And if it does come to fruition, I'm just I'm damn curious. Freeze dried hot dogs taped below every chair, every seat in the stadium, bags of beer. Yeah. That are somehow cooled with some chemical system taped to the bottom of every seat. Yeah, I also saw there's going to be no tailgating at a number of places, which makes sense. I think that makes sense. It's going to be very different because that's obviously intertwined with college football itself, hanging out with people before a game and cooking and enjoying the good times. Enforcement yeah. of this on a number of different levels is like a separate podcast <laughs> like that's i that's a whole other show that we could do for about an hour and 45 minutes because um the way think, tailgating is ingrained into the culture of some of these schools sure i i believe them i take them at their word when they say no it's we gotta we we can't do tailgating but i want to see to what extent it's actually enforced which school will have the first news chopper documenting <laughs> a situation a situation arising yeah. outside the stadium i mean it's probably lsu it's probably lsu and that's not to make fun of lsu at all but just the passion uh through which they tailgate every season it seems like that's the answer that they're going to be so set on on cooking and enjoying themselves before the game but yeah that, that would be my guess that baton rouge news seven <laughs> is what ends up action action copter seven is what ends up uh becoming the first helicopter, the first uh, documented uh, skirmish outside of a skirmish. So, Good word. Yeah. Thank you. In other college football news, Justin Fields started an online petition that amid Big Ten parents questioning the decision to postpone football. So a lot going down here. Justin Fields posted his petition, I think this weekend, maybe it was Sunday, and in a very short period of time, got over a quarter of a million signatures. It is the We Want to Play petition. They are trying to get the Big Ten to change its mind. Uh, Going to ask Ross Dellinger about that. I think the operative question right now is, to what extent can this actually leave a mark, make an impact, get people to, to change their minds? I'm skeptical that it can. I think we've long surpassed the point where uh, a social media movement, a, a grassroots campaign of this ilk can can make a dent in this. But we'll ask Ross. He's much more in the know. The I, think other- it's, I think there's, by the way, with regard to the petition in Justin Fields, I think it's actually pretty amazing of Justin Fields. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it's incredible what he's doing. This is a sport that for all of the amazing elements of the sport is not one that fully encourages its players to lend their names to public causes and sort of try to affect change and try to sway the powers that be. It's, you know, they're cogs in a machine for better or worse. And definitely we we try to appreciate their abilities and their personalities as, you know, to the best extent we can. But Justin Fields doing this because he wants to play, his teammates want to play, Ohio State and Ohio State fans want there to be college football the fact that he's lending his name to this, that he's spearheading this effort when he may have already played his last game for, for the Buckeyes. I think it's so impressive. I know he was part of the the Big Ten Players United saying that, you know, we want representation, we want a voice. And the fact that he's putting that into action, I, I couldn't be more impressed with Justin yeah. Fields, even if it doesn't change the the administration of the Big Ten's mind, which I don't think it I don't think it's going to change their mind. But the fact that he is he is proactive in this fight and, you know, even if this doesn't work for him, that, you know, it opens doors for the next generation of of college football players. I I couldn't be more impressed with Justin Fields. Yeah. And Trevor Lawrence, to some extent before him, he's not necessarily, uh, I guess, spearheading this online petition. But um, Trevor Lawrence has put himself out there. And to your point, having players of of this level of prominence makes it all the more difficult to squash the movement. Yeah, and ignore, yeah. You can't ignore it. So Justin yeah. Fields will have to keep tabs on on how he's doing with that campaign. The other element of this is the parents. So we saw parents of Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State players, they're asking the Big Ten to reconsider the decision. They're questioning the leadership during the pandemic. They're writing letters to new commissioner Kevin Warren 
Uh, I saw a letter from Iowa parents, I think, was hand-delivered to the offices in Chicago on Friday. And on Saturday, letters from parents of players at two other schools were shared with ESPN as well. So he, here's what's going down. How do you feel about the parent involvement? With well, this, I did get a kick out of, of I got a kick out of Randy Wade. He is the father of Sean Wade, the sure. defensive Starting back corner. for Ohio State. Yeah. And man, he's flying to Chicago. <sighs> he's flying there and he's trying to get specifics, trying to make things uncomfortable is how ESPN phrased it in their article for Big Ten powers that be. I don't know what I think about the parents taking this action. I think it stems from lack of transparency. Totally. We can get into this as well with Mr. Dellinger in a little bit. I think the communication effort here has really been muddled. Big Ten was terrible. Say what you want about the Pac-12, but the Pac-12 released a 12-page document that went into a much, much greater level of detail around why they made this decision. The Big Ten, not so much. And I think that's what a lot of folks are choking on right now. They're having a hard time understanding the decision. If they had come out and said, this is why we're doing it. These are the targets we don't feel like we're meeting. Sorry, we can't play football because of this liability. Frankly, it would have been a much stronger case. Right now, it's hanging in limbo. There are a lot of programs who feel like they did their level best to meet whatever targets they were supposed to be meeting, and we're just in this really uncertain territory. It's foggy. No one knows truly why the conference is at where it's at. So that is what is driving a lot of this. If they had been clearer up front, it would have stemmed a lot of this. There was an article. I think It was Sandy Barber from Penn State. There was um, a Minnesota president, Joan Gable. They came out and they said, they, we're not even clear if there was a vote. <laughs> it's more of a quorum. <laughs> so, yeah. If you can't even be clear about whether there was a vote, there is a communications issue at the conference that should probably be resolved sooner than later. Yeah, it's interesting. And I know Kevin Warren, the new commissioner of the Big Ten, has taken a lot of heat and these letters are addressed to him. And I watched, I don't know if you had a chance to watch our pal Dave Rebson at Big Ten Network interview him on the day of the cancellation. And I thought Dave did a, a fantastic job interviewing and really pressing him on reasons. And Kevin Warren, who answers to presidents, chancellors, whatever, was pretty evasive. I And I think you're right. It's a messaging thing. It's a communication thing where it's, you know, the Pac-12 lays it out and you're like, this is, we, it's, it's an unknown. We don't know about testing. We don't feel confident in our own ability to test and do right by the students in the way that they've earned. So we are shutting things down and postponing until we feel like it can get to a better place. Whereas the Big Ten didn't quite have that messaging. They weren't necessarily clear. And you'd hear stories trickling out about this doctor said this and this doctor said that, and they're worried about this or they're not worried about this. And it all just seemed to come out without authority. And right. I think that's the big thing that you see parents. And I I was mixed on the parent thing because uh, on one hand, I'm so impressed by, you know, these students coming out and saying, we want to play or we want more representation or we want, you know, a, a seat at the table. And then you have parents coming out and s- speaking on behalf of, Young adults, the large, these are legal adults that are able to make decisions and that are exercising their leverage and are doing a really impressive job for the most part of, of mapping out where they think uh, players should have a voice. And then you have the, the, the helicoptering in of parents. It I feel like it almost muddies the message on the other end. Like, I don't, I don't know if they need their, you know, mommy and daddy swooping in like It's very strange. College football has been professionalized to whatever degree based on the money and the exposure. And so we enjoy treating college athletes like these, you know, national figures and that we have parents coming in on their behalf. I saw I think it was the the McCaffrey parents who I guess they have uh, a a kid at Nebraska and a kid at, uh, at Michigan. I don't know. It felt a little bit off to me for like a 20, 21 year old's parents to, you know, be so public with their their desire for, you know, they're looking after their kids. I, I totally get that. I don't know. It, I, it was unexpected to me. To further the point, there, there is a lot of uncertainty, a lot of disagreement over this. Tanner Morgan from Minnesota, he says the Big Ten made the right call. Yeah, he says they made the right call. So I don't know. Have More you watched Tanner Morgan speak, by the way? Have you watched a press conference or an interview with Tanner Morgan? I don't Morgan? think I have. 
He's like 21 going on 36. Oh. And and maybe it's because he shaved his head or something, but really impressive dude. Cool. Really like just thoughtful guy. I was I was impressed by Tanner Morgan. So Dan, in keeping with the motif of the Big 10, just in the short time that we have been connected here and on the air. Yeah. Michigan State has announced that it is going Online only from our friend Nicole Auerbach, quote, effective immediately. We are asking undergrad students who plan to live in our residence halls this fall to stay home and continue their education with Michigan State remotely. They're saying their decision is due to the current status of the virus in our country, particularly what we are seeing at other institutions as they repopulate their campus communities. It is unlikely we can prevent widespread transmission of COVID-19 between students. So from an academic institution standpoint, they are obviously trying to get out as much ahead of this as they can. They're looking, they're seeing what's going down at North Carolina, moving their classes online. We can talk about that momentarily. There was a spike at Oklahoma after some players came back from break. We've seen a spike on the campus of the University of Notre Dame. Notre Dame, by the way, just... This was this was just breaking news too. This is actually what I thought you were talking about. I learned about the Michigan State thing from you. Uh, Notre Dame's going online only for the next two weeks, according to I assume Fr is father John Jenkins. Yes, on Notre Dame's campus. Uh, but the football team, because and I'm going to quote one more time. This is from a Notre Dame release. Varsity athletic teams that are subject to routine surveillance testing may continue to gather for sanctioned activities, according to established protocols, and will be closely monitored. So Notre Dame's football team is still going to practice. Notre Dame students for the next couple weeks as they try to get things under control will be not in person for classes. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. This whole bubble mentality is a weird thing that seems to be gaining some traction um, as the student body may learn virtually, maybe not necessarily off campus, but not in classrooms. Um, folks like Mac Brown are saying he thinks it'll actually help isolate players. Um, they announced on Monday that North Carolina, all undergrad courses will be moving online, bit of a cluster down there of coronavirus infections. And now that they've got cases popping up and they're moving online only, Mac Brown is hoping that that isolation can be a little bit like the NBA bubble. I'm curious to see if we see that elsewhere. You just mentioned Notre Dame. Um, will schools be able to justify treating college football as like a quasi bubble within their own institutions? I don't know. We'll have to ask Ross. Yeah. Um, I just saw a Michigan tackle. Jalen Mayfield has announced he's entering the draft. So, oh, wow. Okay. You know, so there's Michigan, a lot going on yeah, right now. Not, not scheduled to play this year, but yeah, he is. Just as we're recording. Correct. The only other quick tidbits that I'll mention is. Kennedy Brooks opted out. He is the star running back for Oklahoma, was the star running back for Oklahoma. He's a redshirt junior, was supposed to be their top running back. And he had, what, two 1,000-yard campaigns in each of the last two seasons, yep. over 2,000 yards and 18 touchdowns in total. Big deal. Big deal. I think we'll see more opt-outs as we get closer to the season, the purported season, but Kennedy Brooks is a pretty big one. This, of course, comes on the heels of nine Sooners testing positive after returning from break. I mentioned that briefly a moment ago. Disappointing is how Lincoln Riley phrased it. He said, we've done such a tremendous job this entire time. And he's right. He's right. Oklahoma yeah. was one of those schools that was being written about as having done a really good job in this regard. Perhaps a school that others could model as a bit of a protocol moving forward for how to deal with the coronavirus, not just within college football, but just around sports in general. And now to see this, I understand why it's uh, a bit of disappointing news for Lincoln Riley. They had really done a good job. And I don't know what the suspension status is of at least one of the backups, one of the running backs in that room, Ramondre Stevenson, who was suspended before the playoff. And we had talked about there not being a ton of clarity with a shortened season, how long they're actually going to be suspended for. Um, that was, you know, I think it was three players before the playoffs. So, yeah, a lot of uncertainty in Norman. And I think we're hoping for the best for everybody's health and clarity there. All right. We will 
keep you abreast of any breaking news that should transpire between now and the end of the show. But we've got a big interview, Dan. I'm excited we for do. this one. Who are we talking to today? Uh, Ross Dellinger, who has done an incredible job. There have been a few people in college football media who have been on top of things in terms of reporting and breaking news. You know, we talked to our friend Nicole Auerbeck. She's done a fantastic job for The Athletic. Another one of those is Ross Dellinger of SI, and he has been pretty dogged and tireless himself in terms of figuring out what the hell is going on where. So I'm glad we were able to uh, to find time with him to uh, to get his uh, his take on everything. I'm excited. All right, joining us now to talk through all things, I guess, current situation, please to welcome back to the show. It's been a while, Mr. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated and SI.com. How you doing, Ross? Are you getting any sleep? Uh, a little bit. I caught up on sleep over the weekend, uh, thankfully. I, I, I'm telling you, I've never fallen asleep as early as I did Sunday night. I I fell asleep at 9 p.m. And Whoa. I cannot remember... The last time that happened, I woke up at 3 a.m., raring and ready to go, and <laughs> uh, had to kind of fall back to sleep. But yeah, it, it I, I caught up on some over the weekend, but it, it's been a crazy two last two weeks, um, especially, but it's really been a crazy last four months. You posted an article on Friday titled, quote, it's a effing mess, how and why football conferences are arriving at opposite medical conclusions. Ross, that's a headline that's going to get some clicks. Obviously, a lot of frustration out there. We know that the virus is ultimately what is causing this mess, but it seems like the communications effort from the NCAA to the conferences down to individual programs, that's what's making things more confusing and difficult. Is that a fair assessment of where we're at in this moment in time? Yeah, I think so. We we have a uh, uh, the pandemic has uh, exposed a broken system and that is NCAA athletics. It is, it is a broken model. It has been, I think for a while, uh, for an assortment of reasons in the pandemic has shown the light on, on that. And it goes from, as you mentioned, um, communication issues. Uh, it goes to animosity, I think, between, between conferences, between schools, uh, in fighting, as we're seeing in the Big Ten with with their own conference, uh, you know, no overarching body that is taking any leadership role over all of college. I mean, it's endless the reasons why it is a blanking mess right now. In the pandemic, has uh, provided the uh, flashlight to shine on all of these issues, and it goes uh, it goes beyond just um, you know, the, the issues among the NCAA, but it, it, it goes to some issues outside of, I guess, in a way now outside of the NCAA's control, when we start talking about things like, um, the player empowerment stuff and the black lives matter movement. And, and of course, many members on likeness, like all of this has come to a head. Uh, it's this like crazy cataclysmic summer, of uh, converging, as one AD put it, converging traffic onto into one another, um, and it's it's creating a pileup, so to speak. You've written a good amount about the the behind the scenes pulleys and levers of college football. What have what have these few months revealed or reinforced to you about things you already knew or thought you knew about those power structures? You know, did did. Anything really, I mean, what, I guess, flipped things for you in the back of your brain? I think the, uh, the well, let's start with the communication. I, I mean, I, I, we were told back since April and May and into June that the power conferences were going to work together in somewhat lockstep. And you felt, uh, after you felt talking with conference commissioners who, spoke to one another each week. They had Power Five conferences had a call each week, and I think they had a call every other week or so with the 10 conferences. It seemed like they were on the same page and they were going to do a lot of the same things. And then it gets to the end, and you've got one conference, the Big Ten, uh, going conference only and not 
necessarily tell anybody that they were going to go conference only. And then the others are doing an assortment of mixture of conference only and non-conference. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, four of the, of the 10 just bail on a season and the others motoring on um, in each of them getting different uh, medical advice. Uh, and I, I think what it all comes down to is college sports is a microcosm of society and American society in America is a very big nation spread across um, thousands of miles of land with different regions where we have different cultural ideals and political views. And that shapes how these conferences, which are obviously regionalized, uh, make decisions, you know, and, and I think that's what it comes down to is these are regionalization, even politicalization uh, issues. And that's the, the bottom line. One of the things that I think is always the most interesting thing in talking about an issue like this is trying, and I, I think this is appropriate because you love talking about food, you love eating food, and so do we, um, reducing whatever the topic is to the the purest and uh, densest nugget. And so we have, you know, all of, you know, we have four conferences saying we can't play because of this. And then we have other conferences saying, we believe we can play because of this. What is the this? What is the most reduced thing that is the the root of everything that some conferences are saying, we're cool with it, and other conferences are saying, that's too far? I would probably say the fear of the unknown. Uh, the virus is only eight months old. And even doctors will tell you, hey, we don't know about the uh, un these medical uncertainties and unknowns, specifically, as has been raised recently, the kind of the hot topic, uh, myocarditis and um, the heart issues mm. that the viruses, the virus causes, uh, even in recovered patients. And so the unknown of that seems to be the one of the big issues i know it was a big issue in the big 10. um so i i think if you're going to boil it down to one thing across the conferences i would i would say that that is it um obviously there are a lot of other reasons and i think obviously when you, when you talk about like a lower level divisions in the back even in the Mountain west you're talking about financial issues that that pop up in liability concerns too that that's also another one, you know, and even in the big impact 12, there are those liability concerns. Again, that all go back to though that one thing, the unknown, the potential for the unknown impacts of a virus that's eight months old. Would you say that certain administrators, presidents are defiant, emphatic, you know, are almost laughing in the face of others who fear the unknown? Or does everybody seem to have a healthy degree of of concern, but some are okay with it? Or or, or is that there that that confidence that like, no, everything's gonna be fine. This is no problem. We're gonna do it. It's gonna be great. Is there that defiant attitude anywhere? I I don't think I don't think so. Uh okay. the, the people I talk to aren't quite as defiant. I think I think there is a lot of respect for the virus and concern. And in a way, I think there's respect for the decisions of the, the Big Ten, specifically in the Pac-12. But there are, certainly are administrators in other conferences. And I think I wrote this in that, in that story, doctors in other regions of the nation that don't quite understand why they made the move so soon and why they didn't in the big tens case, like postpone the season, push it back or give it a little more time. So there certainly are views from around other conferences in that about the decision and why not uh, postpone it or delay it a little bit into the fall, maybe even in October. There, there are certainly uh, those things coming from administrators and doctors, but that there, I think there's very, there's very few of, of, of like just that defiant attitude of, hey, we're gonna go and have this wonderful season, and you're gonna look like a bunch of idiots, uh, which might happen. But but I, I think administrators are so cautious right now, and we should mention, and the SEC has, I think, come out and said this pretty publicly. We wrote about it a little bit. Is 
the SEC medical panel, it has not approved the league to have a season. Uh, it's approved the league to have fall camp right now. But, um, and I was on the phone with their, one of their lead medical advisors. And she said, we have not approved like, you know, a season to start And they're hoping that in the next few weeks that, you know, like things like this, the lava test that uh, stuff came out about over the weekend kind of helps, you know, and they want to see how students, how campuses react to students coming back, which early returns, not good. <laughs> right. Um, but they want to see that. And that's what confuses, I think, some administrators in other parts of the nation is they're like, well, wait, why the big team didn't give, didn't give it a chance. Uh, I think a lot of them feel. So I guess some of the frustration is around those thresholds or that target. Do programs, do conferences actually have a target that they're shooting for with respect to cases, positivity rates, some other metric that's out there? Because it does feel like in in many ways, these programs are doing their best to try and meet a moving target that they don't even really know about. The only real target, uh, as far as numerical stuff when it comes to cases and things, I think is an NCAA guideline uh, from a couple weeks ago. Uh, and it's basically, I think, might be attached to the CDC guidelines as well. And it's like a, I think it's a 10% uh, or less positivity rate. And there's a certain amount of new cases per 100,000, like in a community. I think maybe it's like a hundred or fifty. I don't. I don't remember the exact number. Uh, and in the SEC, the advocate, my old employer, actually in Baton Rouge, did a great story on this recently. In the SEC, none of the SEC communities meet that uh, mandate or guideline, whatever you want to call it, right now. Now they don't kick off for another six weeks, but they, yeah, they're in an interesting position because um, to get to that threshold uh, might take quite a bit of work for a lot of SEC places. Uh, so that could be an issue. Um, but there are a lot of other, I think there are other um, markers that the SEC and other conferences are looking for uh, other than just case numbers. And I think the big one is going to be uh, campus outbreaks because of the return of students. And it's like, how much do you have? And we're seeing some things and working on a story right now that'll post Wednesday morning you know, UNC has decided to say, hey, uh, we're sending all kids back home and we're going to go virtual. Oh, but our football players can remain on campus and they can prepare for a 2020 season. Well, I think a lot of uh, schools would like to have that because that's basically a bubble you're giving your team. And I think you might see more of that year down the stretch. Do you feel like to, to that point, Ross, has the conversation or at least the approach here shifted a bit from the start of maybe planning out a season to where we are now? Because I remember back maybe two and a half, three months ago, the conversation was such that if you don't have classes on campus, there's no way you can even entertain the notion of a football season. Now it feels like we've almost evolved to a point of like, hey, this might be a good thing. Maybe this can help us get there. Yeah, this this whole thing has been so fluid. That gives you a good window into the whole COVID-19 environment when it comes to college sports that a few months removed from conference commissioners saying exactly that. Like, whoa, we cannot, you know, we cannot have college college athletics if we don't have in-person college uh, classes. And clearly uh, that is, yes. Thing to, to change in in North Carolina doing it is a uh, a good example of uh, there may be open the can of worms here uh, for this issue and I would imagine we're going to see more more schools potentially try to go this route it's almost like they've gone uh, they've taken this path of a bubble accidentally it's a oh oh whoops well we don't have a choice now you know. Um, uh, instead of doing it from the outset, which you would get optically, obviously it doesn't look good. Uh, but they're they're kind of going the back door with it uh, here, and uh, it is funny how the tune has changed. Now, I will say the tune hasn't changed with everybody. You know, Bob Bowlesby was one of those that came back in May because I'm working on a story on this. I've just looked this up, but back in mid-May, he said he said if there's any kind of virtual learning going on then we can have athletics. Right. So it kind of depends on who you talk to. And it, again, 
it's another example of how college sports are divided uh, among the conferences. Uh, everybody has their own opinion on this issue. Well, and there are fault lines that have emerged, not just within the sport, but I think the sport in relation to some of the other key components, right? We've got a movement now that is being spearheaded to some degree by Justin Fields. He's got over a quarter of a million signatures on his We Want to Play petition. We've got Big Ten parents, some of whom are saying, hey, we're going to show up on campus, the Big Ten campus, that is, and we're going to try to make things uncomfortable, whatever that means. We've even got political pressure that we all know is out there, all trying to push these power brokers, these powers that be, to maybe reverse course in the case of the Big Ten or stay on course in the case of the SEC, the ACC, Big 12, etc. Are any of these external forces having an impact with those decision makers? Or do you feel like it's something that gets played out on social media, but not necessarily going to have too much of a lasting effect here when it comes to the end of the day? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, probably the latter. It, it is something uh, for social media and certainly gets people buzzing. I just can't imagine the Big Ten after making such a significant decision. And already it sounds like moving on to out, outlining a spring football pl season plan that they would um, reconsider the decision because of a petition and of letters from parents, it it would gosh, it would just seems like it would it would just go against everything uh, that is good judgment. If if you if you made this decision and you made it for health reasons, like you said, how could you possibly go back on it just a few days later when nothing really has changed around the COVID nineteen environment? So. It would surprise me, and certainly out in the Pac-12, that definitely ain't happening. I mean, they're they're like the ship has has sailed. There's a reason you don't you don't hear many, many complaints uh, from parents and coaches and players out in the Pac-12. They're in a totally different environment that they I mean they couldn't even you know I think mean, some of them couldn't even practice because of the state regulations and and stuff like that. So I don't think it's definitely not going to happen there. In it just would be a surprise. I mean, if if the Big Ten reversed some kind of course, I was just talking to a Big Ten doctor for that story uh, Friday, and he was telling me about you know all the issues about why they made this decision and the uncertainty and the fear from presidents and you know their risk tolerance isn't quite as high as some others, and they're not going to risk it. And to go back on all that, Ed, I would be shocked. You mentioned yeah, the the health and safety concerns that conferences, you know, specifically the the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have cited, though there are some, you know, be it, you know, college football media members, fans or whoever, who have pointed out that there are also things like legal liability and even the maintenance of amateurism as the sort of bold font real reasons that conferences like the Big Ten and Pac-12 have canceled. Do you hear those types of quiet things said out loud by non-media, non-fan types who are who are sitting be, behind big desks at universities and, and conference offices? I, I, a little bit, I guess. Um, there, there is a, a sentiment to that. It, it just here's the the thing, and it's kind of with the the uh, overview of this whole talk we've been having is is like the nation is divided, you know, I mean, right. college sports, uh, is divided as well. Um, so yeah, you, you do hear it from, from important places. Um, uh, but then you talk to somebody else and it's, it's some other version, you know, it's some other opinion. Um, it's just the regionalization right now of, of what's going on in America is, is in, incredible and, and the virus has shown the light on it and it's it's exposed college athletics too and uh but I, you know i i think to get back to the question i i um i, I think I, you hear bits and pieces yeah i okay. mean it does come from i like to think i've I, you talk to um ad's and and even people who are close to presidents and you hear it from the conference office as well sometimes 
fall camp has begun at a number of places. This is something that we're sort of glossing over at the moment. And we've talked a little about clusters of, of cases popping up at places like Notre Dame and North Carolina. This may sound silly, but and you mentioned that doctors have not cleared the SEC to begin a season, merely just fall camp. Does this mean that protocols for testing and tracing and quarantining just how long and where and all things like that, are those all finalized? Is that all set already? Uh, in most places, it's, here's how it was described to me. Um, this is a living, breathing document is, is how they like to describe their in-season protocols. They, they do have, I think they, I mean, the Power Five of, of the remaining Power Five teams, I think have, for the most part, put out their in-season protocols, but it is changing and it's changing based on CDC guidelines a lot of times. So, um, you know, 14-day mandatory quarantine might soon be 10-day mandatory quarantine because of the CDC changing its guidelines. Uh, the SEC might soon go to instead of two week uh, or two uh, two times a week of testing, three times a week of testing, uh, doing a third maybe right before a game on a Friday. So it, I think this is a, these protocols are constantly changing based on the COVID nineteen environment and the CDC regulations. So you know some conferences don't have in season protocols at all right now, and that's coming. I think that's coming pretty shortly. Uh, you'll see Conference USA, I think, come out with something um, somewhat soon about their protocols. The AAC, I don't know if they've officially released their their document. I have their document, but I'm not sure it uh, it's officially been made public and it's changing. The reason I haven't reported on their document is because it's, it's changing constantly. Uh, so... I think they're waiting to the last minute to get to like a, okay, here's our plan. But even during the season, I expect protocols and, and stuff to change because of the CDC guidelines changing. We've seen a, a number of coaches across various conferences, big names, Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, whatever. They've a lot or an overwhelming number seem to say, we want to play. We want to go about this in, in a safe way. We want to take care of our, our players. But there's also concern. There's, there seems to be concern about doing things properly. Is there a consensus in the coaching community about how conferences, teams should proceed? Or is it, you know, you, you talk about we're a divided country and it reflects itself in college football. Is the coaching community as divided as the rest of us seem to be? No, definitely not. I would, I would say that the vast majority of College coaches, especially head coaches, are um, wanting and thinking that there should be a college football season. Uh, I don't know what the percentage is. Maybe it's eighty percent. Maybe it's ninety percent. And it's not. And it's not all of them. It's definitely not all of them. And I've heard from some that that don't believe that uh, that we should play. But it is a very uh, a small. It's a small group. So. Yeah, and I think that goes for players, too. I think coaches and players are on somewhat the same terms when it comes to playing a season. I think they want to play. The vast majority of them, I would venture to say 90-plus percent, want to play a season. And I think athletic directors, and I guess there's a difference in want to play a season or should play a season. But even I even think that coaches and players think they should play a season. I think there's probably a vast majority thinking that I think as you go up the rung on the ladder, that percentage drops, you know, so you go to the AD level. And I think that's it, the percentage of, of ADs who think we should play drops. If you go up another level and you go to mm -hmm. presidents and I think the, the rung drops again, I do. Uh, that's just how I kind of get the feel from, from talking to those in, in college athletics. When you look at the sport and you mentioned the the phrase, the, the virus has shown a flashlight on everything that, that needs fixing or that is wrong or that has long been wrong with the sport. When you look at what realistically, and you've covered the sport for a long time, you know people far and wide across the sport, realistically, what should people expect as for change that can come from such a 
crazy event? Is it on the player level? Is it on the, the sports structure level? Is it on the Power 5 NCAA back and forth level? Where is the realistic change over the next 24 months likely to come? No, that's a great question. And I think there is going to be change. I don't know how quickly, but um, after going through all this, I can't imagine there not being being some change. We're already going to get change with name and likeness stuff coming down the pipe. Right. In one time, a transfer rule where it basically be an eliminate players will be able to transfer and unlimited and play play immediately, all that. I mean, all that is going to drastically change college athletics starting next year. Uh, however, uh, that was even going to happen before the pandemic. And, and the pandemic is going to add probably some elements. Um, I think we'll see a continued gap widening between the power five and everybody else. And eventually I just can't imagine that, they're not going to split off. Uh, not saying it's going to happen next year or the year after, but it, it feels like we're heading toward a split of some kind where the Power Five, you know, hold their own championships and such because the gap continues to widen. And the pandemic is, has shown how wide it is, number one. The name, image, and likeness is going to show even wider, and the transfer stuff is even going to show even wider um and it's just going to continue to get uh the gap's going to continue to get larger and larger i think one of the also one of the repercussions uh ramifications of all this is the spending in college athletics uh, specifically on olympic sports when it comes especially to travel you're going to see a different um course of action first of all you've already seen a sports cut olympic sports cut sad to see i think there's 60 plus Division one sports teams that have been cut, which is the most in like a almost 15 years, I believe, and that's that's probably going to continue. So you're going to see that. Um, you're going to see uh, just overall cuts to to how an athletic department um, spends on the sports that do not make it money. All right. Well, joined here by Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated SI.com. I got two quick ones for you, and then we'll let you go. Perhaps he can get some rest. Um, selfishly, Ross, Dan and I are here trying to figure out when should we do our conference preview podcasts. We did one for the <laughs> we did one for the Big Twelve on the day that the Big Ten and Pac twelve pulled the plug. We had scheduled to do our Big Ten preview that clearly did not happen. So now we've got three other conferences, Power Five conferences, anyway, that are out there just kind of hanging in limbo. What are you watching for? What should we watch for if we're looking for a bellwether? Like, is this thing actually going to go down in the fall? What What are like the milestones that you see coming that we should all pay attention to? Students returning to camp. So once once those three Power Five conferences have all those schools have all their students back at campus for a week or two, and then you might even want to wait wait another week just to see the potential spikes, that's when we're going to see that happen. And I don't, I don't have obviously the, um, the start of classes dates in front of me, but it's, it, it started roughly a week ago and it would probably stretch through most of the month. And there, you know, there's a reason the SEC pushed back to September 26th. They are waiting to see partly to see what happens when students return and if they can kind of, if there is a spike in late August or early September, if they can get to a plateau before they start. So you're better off waiting until I would say the earliest, the first week of September. Final question then with that out of the way, spring season has been the bailout option for the big 10, the PAC 12. We know there are other conferences around college football that are, that are bumping to spring. It is not the ideal scenario for any of them. There are logistical nightmares associated with it. No doubt. Of the administrators that you talk to, if you could kind of give me the split like you did with the coaches and the university presidents and the ADs, where are people at with regard to spring season viability? You know, it all depends on who you talk to, and you're getting different answers from people with different motivations. So those who are still in it 
to play a fall are saying, no way, you cannot possibly play a spring. And those who have already bailed on a fall and only have one option left, which is the spring, are saying, yes, you know, we think it can be done. <laughs> so it's somewhere in the middle. Um, I think before before uh, those teams bailed on a fall, like back a month ago or even two months ago, when you asked around about a spring, the majority of responses were, no, can't do it, not viable for all these reasons. Um, and I think the top one is playing 20 to 25 games in an eight-month span, basically playing two seasons in uh, within a calendar year. It is difficult, I think, for administrators to wrap their mind around doing that to Amateur athletes in the what I call the year of NIL, uh, they are right. NCA is begging Congress for help when it comes to athlete compensation, and they're having to bend over and in uh, uh, cater to athletes. The NCA is around every turn, just optically for Congress in all of this uh, this mess to the to the end result, which is a federal NIL bill that they hope is. NCA friendly. So in the year of NIL, it's tough to see them uh, doing this. Um, and, that, and that's just one reason why I think spring is going to be tough. But logistically, the TV windows, uh, all your star players are, you know, a large part of them leaving for the NFL, the NFL potentially having to push back its dates. Um, you know, it, it, it could be uh, it could be a mess. All right. Again, his name is Ross Dellinger. He's doing fine work out there for Sports Illustrated and SI.com. Please follow him on Twitter. And Ross, please come back soon sometime when maybe there's a, a lot less turmoil in the world of college football. It'd be great to talk football yeah, with you, Ross. Yeah. <laughs> it would. It would. That's, uh, that's usually what I'm, I'm used to talking about is football. It would be nice to talk about the, uh, the starting quarterback in, in the backup left guard and uh, one day, mate, one day. Can't wait. 2022. Ross Dellinger, <laughs> thank you so much for stopping on by. Take care. All right, guys. See you All right, Dan, again, that is Ross Dellinger. Find his fine work out there on SI.com as well as Sports Illustrated. Don't forget to follow Ross Dellinger on Twitter as well for all this breaking news. Doing a really, really good job trying to keep us up to date with what he is hearing, talking to power brokers and administrators and coaches and players. And also, if you find yourself in the state of Louisiana and are hungry, it's a really smart idea to somehow get a hold of Ross Dellinger to ask him, no matter what town, what highway, what parish, wherever you are, where to eat, because he somehow knows everything about where to eat in Louisiana and specifically Baton Rouge. So I uh, couldn't recommend that more and couldn't recommend following and reading Ross more. So re- really glad we had him on. Also, Ty, should be mentioned just because in the spirit of everything changing all day, every day, we are now going live 24-7 on Twitch. <laughs> I was just going to say, we're we just need, this is why we have cameras the cameras on. in here now, because we need to make sure that we're always available for breaking news. Yeah, what is Ty Snack on? What is his sleep schedule? Does he have some sort of headset for the mysterious day job to keep going with that? I should say, by the way, just because everything changes all the time, we talked about Florida State and a couple of receivers voicing concerns about clarity and testing protocol and all those things. Warren Thompson, one of those receivers, apologized for bringing up that concern, I I guess, without knowing all of the information out there. So he and Mike Norvell have made nice. And we mentioned Tamari and Terry as well as one of those. So uh, it appears that situation has improved and there's a better dialogue at Florida State. And we're a fan of that. Whew. All right. A lot going down, Dan. I do have some exciting news for you, though. Oh, okay. After I disconnect... I'm going down to take my chicken out of a brine that I've got going on before right, I throw hold on. it in the oven. Slow yeah. down. Yep. Slow down. Yep. We're talking about a whole chicken? Thighs, breasts? Chicken breasts. Chicken breasts. Okay. Wet brine, dry brine. Wet brine. Okay. So I'm sure it's going to be delicious. I've done both wet and dry with chicken and turkey. 
I don't think I've done it with any. I think poultry is a little more difficult because it's not as fatty a meat. I've never um, done this before. I've never tried the brining before. I recommend a dry brine rather than a wet brine. I have found that the seasoning penetrates the meat better with a dry brine. Thanks for telling me that now, by the way, but okay. You didn't Continue. ask. I didn't ask. It's fair. Are you? How are you preparing? Are you grilling? Are you roasting? Are you frying? I think we're going to roast. I think we're going to try a roast. Um, what do you, what is in your wet brine? If, if that's not too personal a question. Just kosher salt. Just, and water. Yes. Okay. I think it'll be delicious. Um, I think the dry brine does a better job and open to being wrong. I think it does a better job of bringing out the natural juices. Um, but man, what, what are you serving on the side? I have not decided yet. Do you have a sauce option? Are I have not decided. I, I don't know yet. I did, I just I decided I was going to do this before hitting the record button. Okay. So we're okay. going to find out what happens when I disconnect and roast this up. But uh, I can keep everyone abreast of oh, the situation. No. Oh no! On my Twitter feed, <laughs> podcast or on is the canceled. Solid verbal Twitter feed. Do, how do you feel about thighs? Uh, I'm a fan. Okay. I, I, I don't have any I've, here, nor do okay. I have any actual live chickens running around out back, but next time, sure. So you don't know. So what do you have on hand for a side? Could do maybe some broccoli. You roast that up, char it up. Could do some salad. Okay. Dessert. Do we have a starch involved? No starch. No. No, no starch. starch. No starch. Okay. Dessert? You're going to make a special night? Special <laughs> Tuesday night? I don't know. We'll see. See how we're feeling. I got to edit. So, Snicker you know. dudes. Okay. <laughs> all right. That's all I wanted to know. You didn't get, have a lot of answers for me. It's been a long week. It's only Tuesday, Dan. Saltwater chicken breasts over at Casa de Hildenbrandt tonight. Okay. Please do write in solidverbal at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts as always as to what's going down in and around the college football world. We'd love to hear it. Don't forget to follow us out there on social media as well, Dan. Um, whatever you're having for dinner tonight, I hope it's at least half as good as mine. I'm hoping so too. I have no idea what we're doing. For that guy over there, my good friend, Dan Rubenstein, for myself, Ty Hildenbrand. We will be back in just a few days, talk more college football with all y'all. In the meantime, stay healthy and stay solid. Peace. Catch us on Twitch. 24-7. <laughs> <laughs>